Today we are in Psalm 5. We've just begun a series for the summer on the Psalms. And so we did verses 1 through 6 last week. I'm going to read the whole psalm again, but we're only going to be looking or primarily at verses 7 through 12 today. So Psalm 5 says, To the chief musician with flutes, and that word flutes there is is very uncertain. We don't really know. There's a Hebrew word, a guess. It's a guess, flutes. A psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth, their inward part is destruction, their throat is an open tomb, they flatter with their tongue. Pronounce them guilty, O God, let them fall by their own counsels, cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against you. But let all those who rejoice, let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy, because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you, for you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor, you will surround him as with a shield. Well, this is the word of the Lord, and may God be pleased to bless it to our hearts. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you. Uh, For the word of the Lord, we thank you that it is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, it pierced my own heart this week. May it convict, may it convert, may it edify the people of God today. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 5 is a prayer to God in a time of distress. So David was under attack uh, from enemies. We don't know who, you know, particularly. But in this way, you see, David so often was under attack. And in this way, he was a type or an example of Jesus Christ, who for in his whole life was under attack uh, and in trouble from the leadership of the Jews. And Christ, in response to this, engaged in passionate prayer. He spent time in prayer uh, wrestling against the forces of wickedness and darkness and prayed for himself and he prayed for his people. If you want to know what he prayed, read John 17. This is how he prays for his people. But um, David and Christ show us how to pray. 
uh, when we are under attack, when we are struggling against uh, evil in our own lives and when we see evil in the world. And when you became a Christian, it was then that you entered into a battle, a war uh, with the world, your own flesh, and the devil, and all the demons. Uh, so we're in a spiritual battle, and we need to realize that uh, wicked people, ungodly people that may attack us, they are only tools of the evil one. Yes, people can be our enemies, uh, but it's the enemy behind the enemy that we need to uh, keep in mind. Of course, David was often engaged in uh, political, personal and often physical uh, conflict uh, with his enemies. But he, like the Apostle Paul, knew that he was in an invisible and spiritual war. And that that was the most critical part. In fact, that's why David, uh, in the midst of his uh, uh, being attacked and so forth, he turns to the Lord in prayer and he seeks God to deliver him, to protect him, from his enemies. He knew, and we know, that the battle is the Lord's. Our enemies can only be defeated through prayer and a trust in the help of the Lord. So what are you wrestling with? What what are you struggling with? And and, and what are you facing right now that um, that you would say is an enemy, whether it's a spiritual enemy or whether it's a personal uh, attack? Um, whatever it is, David is going to give us three ways to respond when we are under spiritual, personal, or, or, or any other type of attack. And the first thing, when you are under attack, uh, you need to engage in public worship of God. When you're under attack, you need to be involved in the public worship of God. <clears throat> in the first half of Psalm 5, we saw that David declares that God hates the workers of iniquity, that he abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. And now in verse 7, he is drawing a contrast between himself and these workers of iniquity. He says, but as for me, I will come into your house, and so forth. And that, those words, but as for me, it reminds you, uh, it reminds me of, of Joshua. When Joshua said in Joshua 24, 3, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will worship God. Joshua was saying the same thing. So to say, but as for me, is to resolve, uh, to do something, to make a firm commitment. And what was David's resolve? In verse 7, he had a righteous resolve, a steadfast commitment to the public worship of Almighty God. I will come into your house. I will worship toward your holy temple. Now, it's been a couple of years now that we have been living uh, with COVID-19. We're still living with it. Um, but you remember, many churches began to have virtual services online we didn't have virtual services we had a recorded service for a few weeks and then we came back uh, in may of 2020 
and and to have in-person services. But um, you know, it was it was a blessing to be able to have virtual worship uh, for a brief period of time. But the sad thing is, is that now that the pandemic has, in effect, subsided, uh, in-person worship is down 22 percent nationwide. It, the church hasn't recovered yet uh, from COVID in terms of attendance. And many Christians have not gone back to church, or if they have, they don't go as often. Um, as worship continues to be live-streamed, you see people have an option. They have a choice. Well, I can stay home and I can feel justified because I can watch it uh, live-streamed. And, and, of course, now that gas prices are through the roof, there's another excuse if someone wants to use it to not be in church. Well, you know, King David was under a lot of pressure uh, from his foes. His life was always in danger. Uh, But instead of using that as an excuse to stay away from worship, he was all the more committed to it. He realized that when he was in trouble, that's when he needed to be in the house of God. I will come into your house. He wasn't always able to do that because sometimes he was forced to flee uh, and, and leave uh, Jerusalem, and to leave the place of worship. But David didn't stay away from the house of God when things got tough for him. He kept his commitment to the public worship, to corporate worship. Yes, David worshipped God privately. That's we. The Psalms are the fruit of David's private worship. He spent more time alone with God than you and I probably ever have or ever will do. But David didn't use that as an excuse. Well, I spent enough time worshiping God. I can worship him privately. I don't have to be in corporate worship, public worship. Matthew Henry writes that the duties of the closet are designed to prepare us for, not to excuse us from, public worship. So... Worship God privately. Worship God in your home. Worship Him on your own every chance you get. But public worship is vital. Uh, One of the old Puritans used to say that public worship is to be preferred before all other worship. It's the vital, the most necessary part. And it's in corporate worship that we're united as one body here to glorify the Lord on the Lord's day to enjoy the fellowship of Christ where who promised where I am where I mean where two or more are gathered there I am in in your midst uh, I found it interesting that uh, I looked up I like to look up antonyms antonyms I even looked up how to pronounce antonym because in my mind I was saying antonym you know and uh, it's actually antonym but uh, uh, the antonym, some antonyms, opposites for the word virtual. The opposite of virtual, uh, three words were given. Real, actual, true. How, how does that sound? Uh, I think we should not be settling for virtual worship. There are times when we might have to, when we're sick, or under threat of something serious. But don't settle for virtual worship 
when you can have the real thing. So actual public worship, it's a duty, but it's a, it, it is also a delight for the Christian. In-person worship on Sunday, that should be something that we are looking forward to all week long. In Psalm 122.1, David said, I was glad when they said to me, it's time to go to church. Well, he didn't put it that way, right? He said, let us go into the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said, let's go to God's house. Are you glad to be in church this morning? Are you glad to be here? Psalm 84, Psalmist said, how lovely is your tabernacle. A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. So when we come to the house of the Lord for worship, how should we approach him? This is another question. David said, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In the multitude of your mercy. First of all, realize that God is a God of mercy, not just a little bit of mercy, but a multitude of mercy. And so David understood that that it was only by God's mercy that he could approach a holy God. He understood it was not from any merit or righteousness that he had. Uh, that he came before God. You know, we understand, and David understood, that it's only by the grace that comes to us through Jesus Christ that we can draw near to God and acceptably worship Him. The New Testament teaches us, and the Old Testament, that, that Jesus Christ must be at the center of worship. Because it's, the only, it's only through Jesus that we have access to God. We can't have worship, but we don't have Jesus. So we need to have Jesus at the center of our worship. The next thing that David says, he says, In fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. So worship needs to be conducted in the fear and reverence of the Lord. So we've got grace and mercy on the one hand, and we've got the fear of the Lord and reverence on the other. Now these two are complement, you know, they complement one another. They go together. They they're not to be separated. But the grace of God teaches us to approach God as sinners who are forgiven, as sinners who come to their heavenly Father knowing that he loves us and cares for us. And the fear of God teaches us to approach this Father uh, at, who is also our righteous king and judge. So we come uh, boldly without fear because of grace. But we come in the fear of the Lord uh, because of God's holiness. Psalm 89.7 God is greatly to be feared in in the assembly of the saints. That's here right now. He is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. How should we conduct worship? Just like Psalm 89.7 told us. Hebrews 12.28 tells us, Let us offer to God acceptable worship. What is acceptable worship? With reverence and awe. With reverence and awe. Now, when you are going through a hard time, when you are under attack in some way for your faith, when the world around you is falling apart, And that's exactly what I see right now. And the world is turning away from God. By the way, the whole world's not turning away from God. At our General Synod meeting, we heard that Africa is exploding 
in, in, in terms of people coming to Christ. And, uh, and that very soon, in, in the not too distant future, 40% of all Christians will be in Africa that are in the world. So there are places where the church is growing, uh, not so much in the West, uh, but in, in the Southern Hemisphere. But when the world around us is falling apart and people are turning away from God, that's when you and I need to resolve to turn to God, to come and be in worship, to be committed, coming, yes, as needy sinners who trust in the grace of God in Christ and yet coming with reverence and awe for the Lord. You know, the temple of God under the Old Covenant, that was the place where God's actual, real presence was not his virtual presence. Jesus said, For where two or more gather in my name, I am in the midst of them. So when you're under attack, don't neglect public worship because that's where we come and meet. Jesus promises to meet with us. You need Jesus when you're under attack. And he says, I'll be there when two or more gather in my name. That's corporate worship. Well, secondly, when we're under attack, not only should we commit to public worship and not neglect it, we need to seek righteous guidance from God. We need God to lead us in His righteousness. David is aware of the tendency, I think, that we all have, that when we're under attack, what's your, what's your t- tendency, what's your temptation? To return that attack, to uh, uh, you know, respond in kind. You know, it's kind of difficult, I think. Uh, you may find it easy, but I don't, uh, to obey what 1 Peter 3.9 says, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. When's the last time you gave a blessing to someone who insulted you? That's not easy to do. But David prays, you see, that God would lead him in a righteous path. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Lead me, guide me, because of my enemies. Because of my enemies. Pastor Stephen Cole says that, that his prayer isn't just that God would protect him from the wicked, but also that God would protect him from becoming like the wicked. Uh, you know, we, we can't help it, but there's a huge culture war that's taking place today. And um, the devil of course, would, would try to stir us up so much that we descend down to the level of those who attack us. Uh, and so there's so much evil, so much that's going on against the Word of God in, in our culture today. It's easy to lose control. It's easy to respond with unrighteous anger. But this is where James is you know, correct. He says you know, that the, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now we can get angry at sin and we should get angry for the right reasons, but but anger in itself is has got to be tamed, it's got to be um, channeled, and so we must not descend uh, to the level of returning insult for insult and so forth. So we need to pray for God's leading. And the most important part of that is to be led in righteousness. Uh, so often uh, Christians pray for leading as some kind of mystical thing, and they're really not thinking about what David's talking about here. 
In Psalm 23, 3, David said, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So we talked about uh, righteousness or holiness today uh, being known by the commandments of God. And that's true. So walk in the way of God's commands and you will walk in a righteous path. Uh, Picture that narrow path that Jesus said, uh, that those who, who, who find that the, the narrow way, who walk in the narrow way uh, that leads to life, you see. And, and think of how narrow it is and how easy it is to fall off into a ditch on one side or the other, on the right side or the left side. And um, the way that's straight, he says, lead me in a straight path. Make your way straight. Uh, make it level. Lord, it's another way of, of thinking about it. And uh, and you know, Psalm twenty five five says, "Lead me in your truth, and teach me. Be the God of my salvation. Teach me the commandments, Lord, and teach me how they really apply to my daily life, not just to uh, the obvious things, but to get down to the to the attitudes of my heart." And so. Uh, pray for guidance, but remember, more than anything else, God wants to lead you in his righteous ways. And, and remember this, too, that God's righteousness is not only revealed in the, in the law of God, the commandments, but most uh, importantly, and more than anything else, uh, it, his righteousness is revealed in the righteous one, Jesus Christ. He is the Lord our righteousness. He kept the commandments of God. He was without sin. He was perfectly righteous. And, of course, the first thing that happens is when we come to Jesus by faith and receive Him, He imputes, He reckons His perfect righteousness to our account so that we're accepted by God through His righteousness alone. But once we are justified by faith and declared righteous, then we begin to follow his righteous ways, his righteous example, his righteous laws. Didn't Jesus say, uh, you know, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And then he also said, follow me. To follow Jesus is, is to walk in his ways, to follow him in obedience. So are you seeking direction and leading in your life? Most of us are. Jeremiah 10.23 says, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It's not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Okay, just remember that. You cannot direct your own steps. You must seek the Lord's leading. And to go your own way, you see, that's the opposite. To go your own way, that's one of the definitions of sin. Isaiah says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned everyone to his own way. So it's easy for us to justify, to rationalize certain behaviors, um, things that we know deep down are not pleasing to God. Uh, I read a devotional this morning, and, and it talked about you know, not rationalizing the really small, what we think of as really small sins, uh, that, that even the small sins are an affront to the Lord, and we need to be careful 
in all ways. So <clears throat> this kind of guidance or leading is not the occasional seeking of God when you're in a crisis. We certainly need to do that uh, in times of crisis. But it's a daily petition for God's leading in all of life. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I quote this almost every week, it seems. Uh, Lean not on your own understanding. You won't be able to figure it out on your own. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. All your ways. He will direct your paths. So acknowledge the Lord in all your ways, not some. And when you're willing to follow His leading in all areas of life, then know that He will direct your paths. He will make His way straight before you. So whose counsel are you listening to in life? Whose advice are you following? Is it your own? Is it someone else? Some other um, person? Or is it God's counsel? Is He your counselor? Jesus is a wonderful counselor. And His counsel is found in His Word. The written Word of God. Rightly understanding it and applying it in your circumstances. Uh, remember, uh, you know, like David, your enemies, whether they be spiritual or personal, are seeking your downfall. They want to bring you down. And so uh, you've got to hold fast to Scripture, to the written Word and to the living Word, who is Jesus, our Lord. Hold fast to Christ. Keep your eyes on Him. Keep your mind uh, focused and reading and meditating on the Scriptures. And, uh, you know, remember that Jesus, the living word and the written word in the Bible never contradict each other. You know, sometimes people say, well, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to do what I think he would do. Well, What did Jesus do? He did. He would. And he did live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, from the scriptures. Uh, Satan tempted Jesus. Turn these stones into bread. You're hungry. And Jesus quoted Scripture, and he says, Man uh, shall not live by bread alone. You know, I can do without bread. He did so for 40 days. But we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So each morning, uh, get up in the morning and pray, Lord, lead me in your righteousness. And, 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 if we do, and if we have that prayer, then we immediately ought to open the Word of God, if we're able, and find there we will find the answer. We'll find the way. Uh, to gain victory over the, the temptation and the power of sin. And so, not only though, do we need to pray to overcome evil in our personal lives, we do need to pray about evil in the world. Uh, and this is where we see, beginning in verse 9, you know, he talks about uh, the, the wickedness of those around him. There's no faithfulness in their mouth, their inward parts destruction, their throat is an open tomb. You see, we need to have kingdom-oriented prayers, not just personal prayers, not just me and my family alone, but for the kingdom of God. And Paul, you see, quotes the second half of that verse in Romans 3, 13. But he prefaces it by saying, they have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There's none who does good, no, not one. So David's describing his enemies, but Paul says, this applies to everybody. This is the whole human race. And so, again, it's when we go to pray for or try to correct another person uh, you know, who we think is uh, doing wrong, we need to take the log out of our own eye first. We need to realize that we, too, have 
turned aside. We've become unprofitable. Uh, we too uh, sin with our tongues. We, we sin with uh, the way we communicate, which is what verse 9 is focusing on. It's the words. Um, and I tell you, uh, again, the, the wicked in our day have become so vile in their speech. Have, have you heard some of the things that they say at the demonstrations uh, and, and these protests that people have? And even in the House of Congress, Houses of Congress, people are using all kinds of filthy language um, in, in, in the way they're communicating. And so we need to ask ourselves, you know, how are we speaking? So I don't use any curse words, but, but are you speaking with kindness and grace and gentleness, how do you speak to those closest to you? How do you communicate with your spouse, with your husband, your wife, or your children? So if we want God to deal with others, if we want to pray and, and, and ask God to deal with them, uh, we need to uh, examine our own lives. Ephesians 4.29 says, No rotten talk should come from your mouth, but only what's good for the building up of someone in need. In other words, don't ever tear people down, but build them up alone. Uh, I also saw this morning, just glancing at an article that talked about uh, husbands often demean their wives, and they ruin their um, they can ruin their confidence and self-esteem, which is not a word that I love to use, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, that as men, uh, we need to be careful. Uh, to to build up our our wives and vice versa. Well, so our speech, our tongues need to be different in the world. Otherwise, we too are in rebellion against God. If we will not clean up our tongue, our language, our speech, we're not following Jesus. And I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Uh, and I need to repent of my own um Ways. But David said in verse 10, Pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out and so forth. Well, those who are slandering God, those who slander and attack Christians uh, today uh, and, and attack God's Word, uh, they are slandering God. They are attacking His people. They will have to answer to God. That's what David's saying. Lord, deal with them. Lord, deal with them. And we need to pray first and foremost for the unbeliever, uh, the ungodly, for their conversion. Uh, always praying for their conversion. Someone prayed for our conversion. Because we, we were not following Christ always. And we can be thankful for the prayers of others. So pray for the, for the worst sinners you see out there. Pray knowing that God can save them. Uh, so pray for king, pray kingdom-oriented prayers. And that means two things. Praying for the advance of the gospel, but also for the destruction of the kingdom of Satan. Yes, sometimes people and ideas and things have to be torn down so that God's kingdom can advance. But let God, let's let God deal with a lot of those things. But lastly, when we're under attack, and I'll try to be uh, uh, quick here, but uh, we need to joyfully trust in God. When you're under attack... You need to rejoice. You may not feel like it, but you need to rejoice and trust in God. When we see the increase of evil in our day, again, it's easy to be discouraged, easy to have a doom and gloom um, kind of uh, feeling, but 
We who know Jesus have great reason to rejoice. Let all those who rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them shout for joy because you defend them. So trust in the Lord. And those who trust in the Lord know that that God will defend them and protect them. You know, uh, an evil culture surrounds us and attacks us from many different angles. uh, Attacks the Christian faith. The, The basic beliefs of Christianity are under attack if you don't know that. And that that's the real attack. It's not right versus left. It's not liberal versus conservative. It's evil versus God and his truth. And, and so even when we see that, though, we can rejoice and shout for joy because we know his name, we know he's Lord, and we know he's under has everything under his control. So learn to rejoice in the face of your attackers. And I want to close with just a story, a true story, a recent story about a woman named uh, Pavi Rasanen. It's an odd-sounding name because she's from Finland. And that's an easy name to pronounce compared to some of the, the names you would find in Finland. But um, Pavi and another Christian member of parliament, she's a member of parliament, uh, and Finland is self-declared to be a Christian country, a Christian nation, but recently were prosecuted, brought to trial and threatened with jail because of their basic beliefs on sex and marriage. She was charged with hate crimes simply for quoting verses from the Bible. Uh, and, and, and she could have become very discouraged about this. She could have gone to jail, but instead she rejoiced in the Lord. You can go online and listen to interviews with Pavey, and uh, she's so happy. Uh, she's full of joy. Uh, She said, I was happy to have the possibility also to tell the gospel, the solution to the problem of sin in front of the court and in front of the media. She said, oh boy, I get to tell more people about Jesus. Uh, Speaking about the first day of her trial, uh, which occurred in January, she said, so many people were praying for the day and God answered the prayers. It was quite a hard day, but I thought it was a privilege to stand for freedom of speech, freedom of religion. And stand for the truth of the Bible. See, while, while the prosecution intended uh, to suppress Christianity and, and to criminalize the Bible, but it, it also created opportunities to proclaim the truth of Christian faith all over the world. What they meant for evil, God meant for good. She went on, she said, The police also asked three times in each interrogation, every time she was interrogated, they they asked this three times, they pressed her, if I agreed to leave these teachings in writing. No, she replied, I stand behind the Bible, whatever the consequences are. For Christians, the Bible is the word of God, and we must agree with it, of course. And she went on, she said, I pray that we Christians would wake up to trust upon the Bible, to study it, to tell openly about the teachings of the Bible, specific, especially testify about our Savior Jesus openly. And I'm so grateful that I have got many, many chances on our TV and radio, newspapers in Finland and secular media to tell the good message of the Bible. And she says it with a smile. Rejoice, even when you're persecuted for your faith. Well, in March, praise the Lord, she uh, was acquitted by a court in Helsinki of hate crime charges. Uh, Verse 12 
in our text says, For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor you will surround him as with a shield. That's exactly what he did for Pavey. And that particular shield, there are two shields generally used in warfare. One was the small round shield that used in hand-to-hand combat. And one was this full body shield that, that protected you um, from head to toe. And that's what's being talked about here. You see, God is our shield and defender. A mighty fortress is our God. Ephesians 6.16 says, Above all, take up the shield of faith, and with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. And so God will bless the righteous, the one who stands for his truth, his gospel. He will give us favor, as he did for this Finnish grandmother, Pavi Rassinen. She was able to tell the good news to the world through an unjust trial that she had to go through. She discovered what Paul did in in Philippians when he was in prison. He says, you know, I want you to know the things that have happened to me have, have, have served for the furtherance of the gospel. That the whole palace guard knows that my chains are in Christ. He rejoiced in that. So what a great privilege and joy it is to know Jesus, to serve Jesus, to Uh, trust in Him to be His ambassador in the world. And sometimes it's through the the trials, the suffering, the attacks, the persecution that come that we have the opportunity all the more uh, to represent Him. You know, the world and the devil cannot hinder the work of God if you and I will be committed to trusting in Him, committed to public worship, Committed to be led by his righteousness. And so no matter how great the attack, no matter how strong the pressure is to compromise, and it's strong today, you need not fear. You need not retract one dot, one iota of God's holy word. God has your back. He's got your front. He's got your sides. He's got your head. It's Put on the helmet of salvation. Take up the shield of faith. You are protected. You are guarded by the armor of God. He surrounds you as with a shield. And I'll close with one verse from Isaiah 54, verse 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me says the Lord. Amen. Let's pray.